0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, and would like to welcome you to a special 4th of July edition of Washington Watch. And we are going to uh, discuss how to form a more perfect union as we are all endeavoring to do every day and also honor those who have made it happen and uh, before today and given us everything that we get to celebrate. Quickly like to remind you uh, that uh, TonyPerkins.com is the address for this and every edition of Washington Watch. And so you can find it at any time wherever you are, and also like to encourage you to download the StandFirm app at the Apple, at the iTunes Store, as well as Google Play. You can download uh, the app and get all of our resources directly to your phone whenever it is most convenient for you. Now, today in the program, we are going to talk about the effort to create a more perfect union. Specifically, uh, we will discuss Frederick Douglass and what we can learn from his experience and life and his example uh, for how we can uh, fight for freedom, continue to preserve the legacy that we have been given. We are going to get, at the end of the program, an update from the courtroom where many battles for freedom are being fought presently. But first, is the declaration still worth celebrating? Our nation's, on our nation's birthday, some argue that despite President Reagan's insistence that America is a sh- city on a shining hill, some would say otherwise. Though America is a place of unprecedented freedom, prosperity, and generosity, we are defined primarily by our mistakes, they say. Can we celebrate America for what it has been and what it is in addition to what it aspires to be? The answer to this question, we think, is yes. But what makes America so extraordinary? How has God's hand been present in our history? Joining us to examine our nation's history is Dr. Daniel Dreisbach, a professor at American University. Dr. Dreisbach, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a delight to be here. Well, it's a delight to have you, and this is an important time to have you because we do need some perspective, and I'm hoping that you can provide that uh, for us today. Um, and I'll start open-ended at first. What makes the Declaration of Independence still worth celebrating?
1: well it's a, it's one of those interesting documents that has not only transformed the life of our nation but it has resonated with people around the world and I think it's a, it's a statement of rights it is a statement of what a people should aspire to. And most importantly, it encapsulates this most important of political ideas that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And, and these are words that, that still inspire us today. It inspired the founding generation, and it has left its mark on countless peoples around the globe.
0: Well, that is undoubtedly true, and, and the uh, the impression that the Declaration has made is um, is uh, unprecedented. Now, I've got a couple of clips I want to play for you about the Declaration and people who have commented about it, and specifically the President. And uh, then I'm going to ask you a question. Let's go ahead and play those.
2: We hold these truths to be self-evident, all men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing.
1: We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, endowed
0: by their creator with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, etc. Well, at the risk of poking a little fun, is our cynicism about the Declaration of Independence in any way related to our lack of familiarity with it?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, the we live in a time of uh, a, a real crisis and, and, and part of that crisis, I think, arises out of a certain uh, ignorance of our own history and a, an illiteracy, if you will, of our history and our, and our founding documents and, and the principles that they, uh, that they enshrine. And, uh, you know, this is not necessarily a new phenomenon. We've seen this uh, uh, throughout American history. But uh, I I think it's a challenge for all of us as citizens to to be better familiar with our our founding and and the principles that were so ably articulated by our founders. And that that starts with the president, but it goes all the way down to each one of us as citizens if we're going to govern ourselves effectively and righteously.
0: What do you see as the greatest misunderstandings today about our country's history? Well, that's a that's
1: a big question, and, and certainly there are a lot of misunderstandings. Uh, one that I encounter quite frequently is that uh, the founding generation uh, wanted to erect a high and impregnable wall of separation that would remove religion and faith from all aspects of public life, and, and I think the public record is very much to the contrary. I think that the founding generation envisioned a, a regime of self-government that required for for a people to be virtuous. And to be righteous, this is encapsulated, if you will, in one of the most famous speeches in all of American history: George Washington's farewell address to the to the nation as he retired from the presidency. And you may remember the line he said: "Of all the habits and dispositions which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports." And, and I think what he's telling us here is that we're not going to survive as a people. Uh, we can't. Pre- preserve and maintain social order and stability unless we are a people with an internal moral compass that is informed by religion and morality. And so I, I think it's, a, it's a, a danger, an existential threat to the very survival of our regime when people uh, say that uh, religion has no role, morality has no public role in our society today. And so I think we should contend against those kinds of, of claims.
0: We are certainly seeing an assault on public expressions of, of religion, and and we are we we often hear the idea that you shouldn't legislate your morality. So these 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 two um, pillars of our country that George Washington referred to, religion and morality, are under assault very directly. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, look. Uh, let me just turn that one phrase around. Uh, you can't legislate morality. Uh, the way I look at the world, I don't know how you avoid legislating morality. And when I hear someone make the claim, you can't legislate morality, I think what they're really saying, you can't legislate your morality because I want to legislate my morality. Uh, I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of of uh, decision-making, uh, government policy, uh, legislation. Every law and legal order reflects, in my view, some very fundamental points and principles about morality. And so we need to acknowledge it. So I I think one of the reasons why uh, we we hear the kind of rhetoric that you just mentioned is because uh, what people are are really saying is not your morality, but my morality. That's, That's what's acceptable. We reject your morality.
0: I think that's a really important point, and and I think the reason we need to understand that is because that – that slogan or that accusation, whatever it is, is really used as, as, a, as a way to try to silence people. And, and those of us for whom it is used against need to be a, aware of what that is. And, and, and alarm bells should go off on our mind every time somebody tells us not to legislate our morality because I think you're 100% correct that it's always being done in an, in an attempt to silence you so that they can legislate their morality in, in place. And a better question is not should, la, should morality be legislated, But whose morality should be legislated? Because someone's morality is going to be legislated. And it should be our hope that good, true, and beautiful morality is legislated as opposed uh, to the alternative. Now, it's it's often been said that America is an idea and that one of the greatest – the the foundation of the idea of America is found in our Declaration. And the idea that our rights don't come from government – they come from God, that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Why is that so important?
1: Well, I, I think that's right. I, I think this is uh, one of the founding American ideas and principles. Number one, that, that our rights come from God. And, and number two, that, that in, in God's created order, we are all. Created equal now, just to be perfectly honest and fair here, uh, much of American history has, has seen a, a debate over what exactly those words mean. We hear those words being debated in in abraham lincoln's Gettysburg Address. We sometimes forget that that 's the core of that famous speech is a discussion of of what do we mean. Uh, by by those famous words from the Declaration of Independence, and and he wants us to to recommit ourselves there at uh, in in November of 1863, in the midst of this bloody war, to this most important of American ideas that that we uh, that our rights come from God and that God has has created us uh, equal as human beings, and we must live up to those ideals.
0: Now. Today, there is something of a debate over whether our history should be a source of pride or a source of shame. What's your reflection as you watch the country have that conversation?
1: Well, I think uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I think I'm called to the truth. And, and the truth requires us uh, to be honest about our our, our history and uh, as, as once was famously said, warts and all, right? Uh, we have a glorious uh, history. And, and part of that history is this remarkable declaration of independence and the principles th- that it represents. But we also have to be honest that there have been times in our history when we haven't lived up to our highest aspirations and our highest principles. So I would call American citizens and most especially Christians to, to be honest in our accounting of American history. And, and that is not to run American history through the mud uh, Nor is it to ignore uh, those parts of our history where we have failed uh, to to achieve our goals and aspirations.
0: Do you think it is inconsistent to be grateful uh, for our history? Does it require a a belittling or a denial of some of our mistakes to still be grateful for what America has been and, and, and could be?
1: Oh, absolutely, and I hope we would be right. I hope we would uh, be thankful, grateful for uh, the history that we have um, and And look if, if people who achieve things in life uh, often, if not always, start with a goal, an aspiration and and I think that 's uh, something that we see in our founding documents. Yes, we see those aspirations in the Declaration of Independence. Yes, we see those. Uh, aspirations in the preamble to the United States Constitution. And, and I think this should inspire us. Uh, this should, uh, be a, a source of, of great pride that we have these goals so ably laid out before us that that give us something to work towards and to continue to work for we live in a fallen world we're fallen creatures and we will often fall short of our highest aspirations but we're certainly not going to achieve those aspirations if we don't have the goal before us and the ideals that will
0: push us on to achieve greatness what about america's history inspires you most and encourages you on the fourth of july well,
1: I think it, it starts with this idea of a creator, a recognition of a creator uh, that, has, that has given us so much, that is this source of liberty uh, that we celebrate on such an occasion as this. Um, but it moves on uh, from this, uh, this idea of, of liberty. Uh, it is about the pursuit of justice. It's about the pursuit of, of, a, of a common good. of of providing
0: a a civil society that serves all citizens. Dr. Dreisbach, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time and your perspective in helping us celebrate the 4th of July. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us, and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the
4: author of life and has created man in his
3: image. Therefore, we
4: must respect the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion your state stands on pro-life abortion check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps
5: most americans believe they have a biblical worldview but current research shows that only six percent actually have one this means that most of our friends and neighbors including those who attend church don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the Center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. in for Tony, so glad that you are with us for this special 4th of July edition of Washington Watch. And we are taking a look at our nation's founding and why it is worth celebrating. And now we're going to move the discussion to those who have helped make America a more perfect union. Specifically, we're going to discuss Frederick Douglass and others who fought to make all Americans, regardless of their skin color, equal. And joining us to have this conversation is Dean Nelson, who serves as FRC's Senior Fellow for African American Affairs, as well as the Chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Dean, welcome back to Washington Watch.
6: Great to be back, man. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: Well, you've, you work for the Frederick Douglass Foundation. You, a, you wrote a great article last week or last year that I, that I want to discuss where you called Frederick Douglass your favorite American. Why did you say that?
6: Man, you know, it starts when I was a kid. Uh, My mother brought home a collection of black history comic books and probably about 30 different comic books. People like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Robert Smalls, Marian Anderson. But included in that was a figure that had two comic books. And that was Frederick Douglass. And so from an early age, I was intrigued by you know, this person who uh, you know, at 19 or 20 escaped from slavery, who became an abolitionist. So really at an early age, I, uh, I was introduced to Frederick Douglass. And the more that I learned about Mr. Douglass, the more I became just enthralled with his story and uh, all that he stood for.
0: Now, you have described him as somebody who can transcend today's kind of political boundaries. Why do you think that is?
6: You know, I, I, because he lived, you know, over a century ago, really, you know, 200 years ago, I think a lot of people remember parts of Douglas, the parts that they want to. And so when uh, my left of center friends, they love quoting a, a great speech that he gave in 1852 that really just slams America and American slavery. Uh, but then I have my conservative friends who love to quote Frederick Douglass when he said that I'm a black, dyed-in-the-wool Republican and would never be a part of any other party but the party of liberty and progress. So I think because he was so iconic, there are a, there's a lot that people would love to – from a variety of viewpoints would love to grab a hold to the life and legacy of Frederick Douglass.
0: Do you think that's still true? Is he a figure that people can unite around?
6: Without a doubt. Uh, and I have talked to many scholars. I've talked to activists uh, almost universally. People love Frederick Douglass for who he was, uh, for what he stood for. And uh, I'm proud to say that libertarians, uh, uh, liberals, uh, conservatives all seem to be able to find something about Douglass that they can rally around.
0: What was his view as we celebrate the 4th of July? And we're kind of talking the, the, the moment that we're, we're talking about this in where there are some people in America who are advocating for effectively the idea that, you know, we need to start from scratch. Uh, the America's founding documents are a failure um, because America has been doing imperfect things while we have these founding documents. And that's proof that America is kind of um, irreparably broken. What would Frederick Douglass say about that?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. And Frederick Douglass did speak to that very specifically. In fact, that famous speech, uh, What to the Slave, you know, means the Fourth of July, uh, he addressed that. Uh, he critiqued very strongly American slavery, called out the hypocrisy, particularly of Christians that had slaves. But at the same time, there were those during that time period, like William Lloyd Garrison and others, who did feel like that the Constitution needed to be ripped up. And Douglas shared that view uh, early on when he was mentored by uh, people that were a part of that abolitionist movement. But later, he came out and, in fact, in that speech in 1852, stated that the the Constitution was a pro-liberty document. He said... If you look in it you won 't find slavery in it anywhere, and uh, considered it to be uh, a very important document. However, Douglas, as in many abolitionists and civil rights leaders after him, would use that document to call America to live up to that document that we had a great document in the uh, the Constitution as well as the Declaration of Independence, but challenging America to honestly live up to those words that we find in those pages.
0: Much of the critique of America today is of its systems and the constitution, which created these systems. And and we are told that these systems were designed to be oppressive. What would Frederick Douglass say about that? Is that true? Is that a reason to dismantle the whole thing? Because all of the systems that exist today are really oppressive by design, by intent.
6: You know, Frederick Douglass actually even evolved in his ideas from the time period that he uh, was an early abolitionist to the latter parts of his life. Uh, He certainly would call out and call us to evaluate always in every generation um, whether there be... These systemic evils, and so they certainly existed in his day. They existed uh, in my parents' day because my parents went to segregated high schools, Um, and there's some argument about whether they exist today. But I think Douglas always said that we are all Americans and, again, challenged us to live up to that. He was not uh, about uh, scrapping the whole thing and starting over. He was about making sure that every person had the right to participate fully as citizens in this great democracy.
0: So what did he do to help improve this great democracy?
6: Well, Frederick Douglass, as most of us know, was an abolitionist and fought hard uh, and saw the advancement of the 14th, 15th, uh, Amendment, 13th Amendment also. Uh, he continued with women's suffrage. He was a huge champion for women's suffrage. And so I think that the, when we look back at Frederick Douglass and his life, uh, we can see that he was one who advocated for righteousness and justice. In fact, my favorite quote from Douglass is, he says, I have one great political idea, the best expression of it I found in the Bible. It is in substance, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people.
0: Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people that that's i mean that, that's a great summary of basically all nations and in, in, in our country today we are you know we think we're trying to to pursue that the challenge i see is that we have different ideas of what righteousness is now i don't know that we agree on those terms like what does it mean to be righteous is that how do how do we define that right that's the that's the uh, the challenge that we're facing uh, politically And we're going to come back and we're going to discuss that. So stay with us right after the break. Uh, More with Dean Nelson as we discuss Frederick Douglass and our efforts, our ongoing efforts to form a more perfect union. We'll be right back.
7: Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world, and we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog.
3: We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742 and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in Tony on this 4th of July special edition of Washington Watch, and we are joined by Dean Nelson in our conversation about Frederick Douglass and his speeches and his uh, on the Fourth of July, as well as his contributions to America generally. Now, Dean, you uh, you wrote last last year in in your column uh, discussing Frederick Douglass and and some of his speeches on the Fourth of July. You said the following: Today, we have some people who declare that racism no longer exists in any meaningful form. And we have others who declare that America is more racist than it has ever been. Both these statements are so self-evidently false that it is hard to know how to answer either charge to the satisfaction of those blind enough to make them. Tell me a little bit more about that.
6: You know, I travel quite a bit uh, in the circles that I'm in. I am often with uh, with conservatives, uh, many of whom are white i 'm often uh, in other circles with uh, African Americans, many of whom are Christian but don 't always have a let 's say a developed worldview and so I hear things sometimes that i 'm i 'm baffled uh, that uh, i 'm like do we live in the same you know same country uh, because I think that there are some perhaps who have just never experienced You know racism. Perhaps they they haven't really seen it up close. They've had a had a good life. Um, You know, but myself growing up, I mean, I I lived in a town. You know, and I'm just you know just over fifty years old. But I lived in a town where I couldn't eat at a restaurant because they didn't allow black people to eat there. Um, Then I hear sometimes on the other side that you know this place is racist. That white people will never let you get ahead. And I'm thinking about we just. You know, we had, you know, two terms of a black president. So I'm thinking, you know, both of these can't be true. Obviously, there is still uh, work to do from my vantage point where there are pockets of uh, of racism and there are racists in America. But we've been dealing with that since the founding of our country. And Frederick Douglass, again, to me, is a great American who we should look to because while he was a slave, overcame uh, slavery himself uh, worked to free other people from slavery. Ultimately, would uh, his second wife was uh, was was not black, but she was white. So I'm thinking that he had he overcame so much. And in fact, many people don't even realize as a minister of the gospel, Frederick Douglass would find the grace to forgive his slave owner uh, and would visit him before he died. And so, to me, the redemptive work of Christ and the power of forgiveness is something that. That we saw in the life of Frederick Douglass. We saw that later in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And I believe that we still need to reaffirm those type of values today.
0: Now, from your vantage point of kind of operating in the right and on the left and in, in their various perspectives, do you think forgiveness is the key to bringing those sides together?
6: There's no question about it. I mean, we can't. You know, wish away uh, the past. We can't pretend that we don't have issues to overcome. But the way to be able to do it is from a vantage point of forgiveness. I, I don't see how uh, America can move forward without the message of Christ and the idea of redemption, forgiveness, restoration, those type of themes have to be at the forefront. And that's why I believe that the church uh, in America has a huge opportunity to lead the way. And I think it needs to happen really in every generation.
0: Yeah. Do you see it happening?
6: You know, I see it happening, but I don't see uh, mainstream media giving much voice to it or, 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 or highlighting it. You know, just last year, there was a, uh, a march in Atlanta, Georgia, with people from a variety of races over Juneteenth, over 10,000 people. It was called One Race. Uh, friends of mine, I used to live in Atlanta, friends of mine that were leading that, black and white. But there wasn't a whole lot of coverage that was given to it. There are efforts with uh, organizations like the Family Research. Research Council and uh, denominations like the Church of God in Christ that are working together for righteousness and justice, and so I yeah. feel like that there's a huge opportunity. Uh, we just need to continue to press, uh, to continue to do it, to be good examples in light of you know what's going on in our culture.
0: Now, you talked in our last segment. You, you mentioned um, with Frederick Douglass, he evolved over his life and his perspectives. Because we all do in some ways, right, and and initially he wanted to see the Constitution just basically torn up because it had brought slavery into his life, and he had no no use for that, but then he stu- then he studied it, and he he learned what it was about, and he changed his perspective. Do you think the th- those who are most hostile to the Constitution and our founding documents today is that just because they aren't familiar with them?
6: I think that there is a narrative um, that is embraced by some without really looking at the facts, without really pursuing truth. And I think that it is difficult um, for many of us to, to penetrate that. Uh, Again, I honestly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, should be at the forefront because it penetrates the heart. Uh, You know, if I were to tell my full story, I was a student at Howard University, uh, and I protested Lee Atwater being on the board. I was radical. I protested. Lee Atwater was, you know, was chair for the Republican National Committee at one time. So I protested that. But somebody saw enough in me to give me the message of the gospel to disciple me and ultimately, you know, I, I received an award you know, from, from the Republican Party two years ago. So I think it's not about the republicanism, but it is about the change that can come to do good in America.
0: Well, and we need a lot more of that. We need change and we need good in America. And Dean Nelson, the time is too short, but we do greatly appreciate you, uh, your work for reconciliation and the Frederick Douglass uh, Institute as well and here at FRC. Appreciate you very much. Coming up. How are current fights for religious freedom, how are they going? Uh, Fortunately, many of our our fights today are not on the battlefield. They're in the courtroom, and we're going to get an update from the courtroom on religious freedom coming up right after break. Stay with us.
3: What is religious freedom, and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org irf to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom.
5: Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly. Vote our biblical values and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray Vote Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray Vote Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. PrayVoteStand.org.
8: Want honest and in depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to tonyperkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marshall Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com.
0: Welcome back to this 4th of July special version of Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, who will be back with you next week. Former President Ronald Reagan was once famously quoted saying, freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. The freedoms we enjoy on Independence Day and every day here in America are indeed fragile and potentially fleeting. President Reagan's mantra is no more true than in the case of Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker, cake artist, excuse me. He is familiar to all of our audience. He he is now in his third battle to preserve his freedom of expression through his cake masterpieces. The folks at Alliance Defending Freedom are again defending Jack against the left's repeated attacks on him. Joining us to discuss Jack's case and more is ADF Senior Counsel and VP of Legal Strategy, Ryan Banger. Ryan, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here.
0: Well, we're glad to have you. You know, when it comes to uh, movies, trilogies can be great things. Uh, When it comes to legal cases, most people try to avoid them. We have Masterpiece 1, Masterpiece 2, and Masterpiece 3 now. Why has Jack Phillips been involved in three separate cases?
2: Well, that's a, that's a great point. And trilogies oftentimes to get worse and worse the longer you go. Uh, This case, in this particular case, Jack is being targeted specifically by, uh, the progressive community for his views, for his faith, for his conscientious commitments. Uh, so this is not an accident. It's not an accident that Jack has now been the victim of three different lawsuits. It's not an accident that that they keep coming back to his door and specifically requesting that he create messages that he simply cannot in good faith create. This is because there is a concerted effort to target him and to target his faith and to silence his voice.
0: Now, his most recent case, he's been asked to bake a cake, bake bake a transgender cake, is that right? Um, Prior to this, have you ever heard of a transgender cake?
2: Now, apparently you can ask for a cake for just about anything. And in this case, you're right. Uh, the plaintiff, a, a lawyer named Autumn Scardina, requested that Jack Phillips create a cake that was pink on the inside and blue on the outside. Uh, the symbolism is obvious. In fact, Scardina testified specifically to the meaning of that those colors at trial. Uh, Scardina said that the the pink interior of the cake cake represented how Scardina felt uh, internally, and the, and the and the blue exterior represented how Scardina was viewed by society as Scardina was born uh, as biologically male. Uh, And so this cake was requested by Scardina to celebrate a gender transition, Scardina's gender transition. And that was specifically communicated uh, to Jack, Jack's wife, in fact, on the telephone by Scardina on the very day that Jack's first case was accepted for review by the Supreme Court. And Scardina testified at trial that this request was made, to correct, quote, correct the errors of Jack's thinking. Scardina knew exactly what was happening, had a very specific intent for this, and that was to force Jack into a position that Scardina knew. Jack simply could not accept the request.
0: Does the court find it at all relevant that Scardina is doing this uh, not actually as in an attempt to celebrate something on a personal level, but purely out of a, out of a desire to um, bully a cake artist that he knew would not be interested in doing that?
2: It, uh, un- unbelievably, it had no impact on the court at all. In fact, the court and its findings of fact and conclusions of law found that Scardina had not targeted Jack, even though in that same document the court recounts the fact that Scardina had scripted the call had actually sequenced the questions that were asked on the call in order to entrap jack uh, so it was really a phenomenal and very disappointing result um, but i think it's clear that you know jack is being targeted for his faith and the the targeting is directly related to the fact that jack will not communicate will not affirm will not embrace the ideology of the progressive left jack serves everyone Without fail. In fact, at the trial, Jack, his wife, his daughter who works at the cake shop all testified that they serve customers who are gay, who are transgender. They simply won't create messages that contradict their deeply held religious beliefs. And the court found that the fact that Jack wouldn't create this cake was indicative of a lack of embrace of the identity that Scardina had chosen. So in a way, this decision uh, is penalizing Jack not because he's refusing to serve customers. It's penalizing Jack because he refuses to accept an ideology, and that's terrifying.
0: No, it is terrifying. And I think that's, I think most rational observers of of this case uh, understand that. Um, But of course, Jack is not new to this. In fact, he's already been to the Supreme Court and he's already prevailed uh, once in large part because the Supreme Court determined that there was a great deal of animus uh, from the government officials who were involved. Are any of the same people who the Supreme Court essentially slapped down uh, the first time, are they still involved, or are these, a, are these totally new personalities involved in, in the most recent round for Jack?
2: That's a great question, Joe. This is a totally new set of personalities in this case. Uh, the first time around, it was the Colorado Commission. And as you correctly pointed out, the Supreme Court found that the commission had acted with animus and hostility toward Jack's faith when the commission chose to persecute him. For refusing to bake. In that case, it was a, a wedding cake celebrating a same sex wedding. In this case, this, the, the plaintiff is a private individual. So the commission is not involved. Even though the commission was involved in an earlier stage, the commission dismissed its case. So this case, as it currently stands, is by a private individual. And I think that just points up that the law, as it currently stacks up, allows for this continued harassment, this continued persecution of Jack. And it just simply needs to stop.
0: How is Jack doing in all this? You
2: know, Jack's an amazing guy. Uh, he is a man of very solid faith, very, very firm faith. Uh, he, he is plowing ahead. Uh, he is not deterred. He's not discouraged. Uh, he knows that uh, his call is to be faithful. And that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, so he's a, he's a remarkable guy. Uh, and it's really a privilege to be able to represent him. He, he is a
0: remarkable guy, and as we celebrate the Fourth of July, we we celebrate those who pledge their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. To uh, create the freedom that we that we currently enjoy, and I think we have to pause and and recognize, as we did on Memorial Day, and as we will do in future Memorial days, but we need, we need to recognize that there are many ways in which people fight for freedom, and and someone like Jack Phillips, and someone like Baronel Stutzman, and many others who have been in court, who have taken the brunt of the of the government's pressure and and stood strong and prevailed in the end, despite tremendous uh, personal. Causes. and and, and a lot of stress and anxiety, no doubt. Um, They do it on behalf of all of us. And I think as we celebrate freedom, we need to remember those who are doing that uh, on our behalf. And and Jack Phillips is certainly one of them. Um, Another question, though, about this. With with Jack, why do you think... because again, it's round three and they are on the record is acknowledging we're just doing this because we don't like the guy. We don't like what he believes. We want to continue to make his life more difficult. Why do you think it's so important for them to make Jack Phillips do this when they could go get any baker in Denver to bake the cake that they want, but they don't want any baker in Denver. It's not about getting the cake. It's about making Jack Phillips surrender or pay the price. Why do you think that's so important to them?
2: Joe, you know, that you, you struck on a very important point. Uh, there's testimony in the record. There's evidence that, uh, Scardina could have gone to any number of dozens of bakeries in the Denver area and received this very cake without any questions asked. This is not about, uh, getting access to goods or services. This case is all about forcing Jack Phillips to bend the knee to a, a intolerant and militant ideology. And I think we're seeing that not just in Jack's case. But all across society right now. Uh, look at the the advent of critical race theory in education. Look at the way that the Biden administration has been forcing uh forcing uh these non-discrimination provisions down the throats of colleges like College of the Ozarks without notice and comment even being given an opportunity for the public to comment on these on these new rules. And so all across society right now, you're seeing uh this effort to force a militant ideology uh, on, on really people just trying to live their lives.
0: Yeah, and, and that is that is the challenge, and and again, his courage is such a great example to all of us. I think we all need to be prepared for this because the reality is, um, you know, you may not be involved in politics, but politics is interested in you, as the saying goes. And and Jack Phillips wasn't looking for this, and many other people are not looking for this, but uh, but the government and and this this philosophy is looking for us, and we have to be prepared before it comes to know what we're going to do, or surrender becomes much more likely. And I I actually want to get to the College of the Ozarks, but very quickly, before we do, what's the status of Masterpiece 3? Uh, how do you feel about the future in that case?
2: Well, the status right now, the court ruled last week uh, entered its, its ruling uh, from the trial. So we tried the case back in March. We were waiting on the trial court's ruling. The trial court entered its ruling last week. Uh, it found that Jack was liable under the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act and issued a fine. So we plan to take that up on appeal to the Colorado Court of Appeals and challenge that on appeal. Uh, And that's going to take, obviously, several months, uh, and we're very hopeful for a good result on appeal.
0: Well, and we thank you and everyone at Alliance Defending Freedom uh, for fighting that battle with him, alongside him, and, and for him. Now, you did just mention also the College of the Ozarks case, another example of how we see government um, just taking the initiative to try to make life harder for people who do not share a particular uh, ideology with respect to uh, sexuality and gender and marriage and these things. Tell us about that case and what's going on uh, at the College of the Ozarks.
2: The College of the Ozarks is a fantastic place. Uh, if you're someone who's never visited College of the Ozarks, they're in Point Lookout, Missouri. Uh, they have been around for over a hundred years and their mission is to serve kids who don't have the financial means to go to college, but are kids of extraordinary ability and they work hard. They call it Hard Work You. That's the nickname for the college. Uh, but it's really, it's based on, uh, on biblical values. It always has been. And part of those values involve the way that uh, God created us, male and female. And that's expressed in part in the way that the college assigns kids to dormitories. Uh, there's a male dorm, there's a male dorm, there's a female dorm. And earlier this year, the Biden administration announced through the Housing and Urban Development Department uh, that uh, the Fair Housing Act, which governs and prevents discrimination in housing on the basis of sex, needed to be read to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, And now HUD said this was a direct result of the Bostock decision. Uh, We disagree with that. In fact, the Supreme Court even disagrees with that. In the Bostock decision, the court said, we're not deciding questions about intimate facilities like restrooms or locker rooms or by extension, dorm rooms. But yet the Biden administration made that leap for the court, got way out ahead and said that uh, universities that maintain dormitories uh, are going to have to now uh, provide access to men who identify as female who want to live in the female dorm, and and that's completely antithetical to the College of the Ozarks' faith, to its its beliefs, and also to the interest of women who live in these dorms who expect to have a dorm uh, where they're they're housed only with those of their same sex.
0: Well, I, w- I want to agree with you about the College of the Ozarks. It is indeed um, one of the most wonderful universities I've ever been to. I've had the chance to be there, and very few universities would I ever have described as humble. But it is one of those places, and I mean that in in, in the best sense of that word. Of the people who are there for the right reasons, they are working hard, truly salt of the earth, um, character developing, and uh, people at that university. And so it is. It's something that we do want to rally to the defense of um, the judge. Uh, uh, immediate, you, you already asked the judge to halt enforcement. The judge de- declined to do that. What's the next step for that case?
2: That's right. So we, we drew a judge you know, there in Kansas City, and her ruling was that the college has to wait until it's actually sued or enforced upon by the federal government to challenge this new rule. Uh, we disagree with that. Uh, we think the rule is ready and able to be challenged right now. So we're taking that up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Which is the Federal Circuit Court that covers Missouri and several other Midwestern states, uh, and we 're very hopeful to get a good result from them. so that case is another one uh, that 's going up on appeal uh, that we, we hope to to get a good result there
0: Now you talk about how the College of the Ozarks is is asserting their their rights. is there any claim for a student? for a young woman in college to ever be able to say, hey, you know, I would really like to have a, a living situation where I know that I'm going to be with other biological women. Do they have a claim like that?
2: Well, it's entirely possible uh, that, that that woman could have a claim under the law. And we brought this case because College of the Ozarks itself as an institution wanted to bring this claim on behalf of its female students, uh, many of whom, uh, almost all of them, share the college's view on this issue. Uh, and so uh, it, it, you know, this is a situation where uh, you, women do have an interest. Women do have a strong interest, uh, not just from a religious perspective, but from a safety perspective, uh, from a living perspective. When they go to college, especially those who go to college of the Ozarks, they they do expect to have uh, access to a female, a truly female dorm uh, in every sense of the word. Uh, so we're we're fighting not just for the college here, but for them yeah. as well.
0: Now, now Ryan, we've got uh, a few seconds left. We're celebrating the 4th of July. What would you say to those in the audience, uh, not only about what to be concerned about, what can each of us be doing to make sure that the freedoms that we have enjoyed uh, are there for our kids and our grandkids?
2: Continue to be vigilant. I mean, as you said, Jack Phillips is now on round three. Uh, Continue to be vigilant. Continue to pray. uh, Continue to call all ADF if your rights are violated.
0: And and we will encourage people to do that. And, and, Ryan, we appreciate you. We appreciate very much everybody at the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, for your defense of our freedoms. And it's especially appropriate that we do so on the 4th of July. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Joe. And we hope that you will take his uh, suggestions. It is all part of our jobs to defend freedom. And we will do so on Washington Watch and for the 4th of July. God bless.